This episode of the Duck Gun Podcast proudly brought to you by Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels, the market's only double-walled, roto-molded dog crate, and a five-star crash test-rated kennel. These American-made boxes come with a lifetime warranty, and the guys over at Gunner Kennels have done some crazy testing just to show how strong they really are, like dropping 4,000 pounds on it, hammering it with a 630-pound sled, tossing it off a 200-foot cliff, and shooting it with a 12-gauge at seven paces with no pellet penetration. You're hitting the road with your dog this season. Gunner Kennels is your safest bet. Protect your best friend and protect your investment. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On today's episode, me and Elliot will be going over a tips and tricks episode. We haven't done one of these in a while, so pretty excited for it. The topic at hand is late season strategies. So without further ado, quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into it. Hey guys, Tim from HTR here. If you really want to get your group up front and in the action, check out our new HTR A-frame. Hunt anywhere, concealed. It sets up and takes down in less time than it takes to put your waders on. We've developed our own camo patterns for a better hide, with more designs coming. We have you covered from the sides and the top. Oh, and did I mention, our A-frame is only 10 pieces out of the box? Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and on htrinnovations.com. Hey guys, another great company that we have partnered with is Sportsman Taxidermy. And we had Corey on the podcast not too long ago, so jump back, check that one out. Really great content there. Um, But they do everything from waterfowl, deers, turkey, and they've even done a lion at the shop. It's award-winning taxidermy, and they're out of Belton, Missouri. Um, You can reach them at 816-331-5171 or email at taxidermy at outlook.com. And did I mention... If you're not in the area, they also do shipping, so that's great. Be sure to check them out, guys. We'd like to give a big thanks to our partners over at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with more decoys with their lightweight system of windsocks, silhouettes, and fully collapsible floater decoys. We'd also like to give a big thanks to our partners over at Bailey's Game Calls. These 3D printed plastic calls are made in America, highly customizable and floating. They also have a patent pending on the density of their calls, which allows them to mimic wood and acrylic calls. Be sure to check out Bailey's Game Calls for your next duck or goose call. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host alongside me, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. And how you doing, Elliot? I'm back from the dead, finally healthy. <laughs> back from the dead. Awesome. Kind of like almost, I think it was nine full days of running a fever. Yeah, it sounds so, like no fun. Oh, my gosh. I, I I don't hardly ever get sick. I'll go like five, seven years and not get sick. And then, man, I came down with this thing Wednesday night, missed Thanksgiving dinner. I'm like, okay, I can still, I'm still going to get in a hunt over break. And it was just day after day after day. and tried to go out hunting on that Saturday, ended up freezing, laying on the ground under a tree. And, mm. 
like, man, this has got to go away. And then I missed all of work. Well, I had a snow day on Monday and then had to stay home from work that entire week. Missed the next Saturday's hunt. It was like it would not go away. And finally, this last Sunday, it went away. But it was like I started thinking I was dying because it's like, okay, you don't have a flu, tested no flu, tested no pneumonia. Your white blood cell count's not high. I'm like, what? What is going on? It's like, some. Then my son got sick with it. I'm like, okay, yes, <laughs> I'm not dying. <laughs> but I was getting a little worried because no one could figure out what it was. But man, it was yeah, it's rough. That's my like one of my biggest fears is just having terrible illness during duck season. <laughs> yeah, I missed two solid hunts um, during during that. So. Like you and I were just talking about, when I get out Saturday, it'll be like the last serious hunt, which is just seems like forever ago. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm and a, we'll, I'm we'll try to keep uh, we'll try to keep some of the the hunt stuff for the next next podcast. But um, when does your split end, or do you have splits? We have uh, well, kind of. I mean, our, our our state is split up into four zones, so I I don't have. I've got um, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off where I can't hunt where I wouldn't because I'm working anyway. So yeah. essentially here in my zone, um, the last Sunday of December, which I believe is the 30th or the 31st, is the last day. And then it's shut down in my zone until the last two weekends of January. But I just have to travel an hour south and it's open all of January, except for, I think like the uh, ninth through the 12th or something like that, a tiny little three or four days in there. So essentially there's no break. Hmm. We will well, just for a couple weeks, we'll be, we travel South and hunt areas that we don't normally hunt, but the no, no, and the geese, the, the geese last year is when we started hunting geese during the split in our zone. That's when we were getting into our ice hole hunts. Um, so no real split. I, yeah. So you guys travel every weekend then if you can't hunt during the season? Well, I mean, you know, if you're talking an hour, it's you're still sleeping in your own bed. I mean, my where where we normally do most of our hunting is about 45 minutes away. So some of these other places that we go um when our zone isn't open in January, you're talking hour and 15 hour and 20 minute drive, so I mean, it's not like it's a big deal. See, we don't as in we, I, I haven't really traveled that much to avoid the splits, um, mm-hmm. but that might be something that I'm gonna be, excuse me, uh, trying to do here in the future. Just, I mean, but I haven't hunted or looked into those areas outside of my zone really at all. And I know a lot of people travel a lot for that kind of stuff. Even how like far would states. you have to go? How far would you I, have to go? Honestly, I don't even know because I haven't even looked into it. I know that um, the central and south zone have different dates so that's something that i need to look into and i bet my dad would be down to <laughs> to wing it a few times and try to figure something yeah. out yeah i mean it's a big difference when you're talking a weekend trip versus not sleeping sleeping in your own bed versus not it's a big difference you know yeah well i think um, so. that the central zone would only be a couple hours max i mean it just depends if you know where to go and all that kind of stuff but we have we we really would have to start from ground zero you know like knowing nothing yeah, but I bet you if you started putting some feelers out, you'd get some people contacting you. Um, That's true. That might that would probably help you out with some with some of that. Well, I, I would direction. do it. 
Yeah, I mean, once we get rolling um, at the begin, the first weekend of teal season, um, we don't really stop except for one weekend until. Uh, I mean, I, I'm hunting geese more and more in February, but um, I typically hang it up at the end of January for duck season. But now, I mean, uh, Canada season's open until the 17th of February, so I'll probably mm-hmm. do a little bit more of that this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we need to travel a little bit, we will early season. We like taking the weekend trips and, and heading, you know, that's about three hours to that zone. And we don't mind that at all. Early season, late season, my wife is much less anxious for me to go on camping trips and weekend trips because she's just getting kind of worn down by the, by the season, by the end of the season. (laughs) Yeah. She wants me to front load my hunting trips to be beginning or mid season. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if I'm taking a lot of days and <coughs> planning a lot of trips in January, she's she's gonna wear wear thin. But <laughs> well, one it's of these hard. Years, one of these years, I'm gonna have to get you uh, up here in our late zone. We have our second split in north northern Indiana, mm-hmm. and that week is always money. Um, you know, nobody shot the birds, and then everything locks up, and then we get some really kind of unique hunts where it's you know really close quarters and birds getting in tight and that's just my favorite time of the year to hunt <laughs> what's the date range on that uh i mean it's just the last two weekends um and the weekdays in between of december of december okay yeah, yeah. so it falls on christmas week you usually i think yeah well once you know i've got kids that are on pretty next year three of my boys will be in high school and once my kids start getting out of the house and stuff <laughs> things start to start getting a lot easier with four kids. It's just all those kinds of things become so much more difficult because then I'm just bailing and leaving my wife with all the kids running, <laughs> ramp, running rough shot over her. Yeah. I get, I get trip offers all the time that I'd like to take, but I'm just like, well, money, time, yeah, kids, what marriage, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would certainly like to do that. For sure. All right. Well, let's, I think, um, let's jump into the main topic. Our topic for tonight is going to be late season strategies. As you can tell, we don't have a guest. It's just me and Elliot and, uh, we're bringing you kind of a, um, I don't know what you want to call it. A one-on-one, uh, duck strategy type episode this week, a little bit different pace from what we've been doing, but, um, we've done some of these in the past and we've really enjoyed them. So, uh, we're just going to jump right into it. Um, kind of giving you guys an overview of it. Like I said, late season strategies for duck hunting and the categories we're going to have are scouting, hunting, uh, concealment, weather patterns, and safety. Um, And feel free if we forgot any to chime in in the the chat or um, let us know in the Facebook group. We're always um, looking for your guys' input. So uh, you want to start us off with one, Elliot? Well, I just think philosophically late season can be a lot harder. Um because early season from October, November, you have these clear cut, obvious fronts. And now late season, it's already pretty much you have a base of cold. So, I mean, you're going to get a lot more north wind days, but the fronts are not as pronounced. I mean, sometimes you'll get these monster fronts that come in, but even those are less predictable than early season. Like if you're in October and it's been you know, 60 degrees, 60 degrees, and you've got a, a north front that comes in and now it's 40 degrees, you know you're going to have a push of ducks. You know that you are. But now that we're so late into into, into it and everything, it's like this last front we got her on uh, Winter Storm Bruce, 
it's hard to tell what that really did. I mean, I know some people were shooting birds on that on that north front. Some people weren't. I know Golden Boy didn't do very well. It didn't seem like that brought just a huge push. So then what you get is you get like, you know, we've got days in the 40s, and then it'll be days in the low 30s. And then it'll be days in the south wind in the 40s, and then north winds in the low 30s. So you're not getting these big pronounced fronts. And so, and, and with that, you're getting um, marshes freeze, marshes thaw, marshes freeze, marshes thaw. So it can be, for me, it feels, I feel a lot less certain about where the birds are going to be on each given day. Um, you know, the, the marshes pop open, the birds are there, the marshes freeze, is they're gone? Are they on the big lakes or on their rivers? So um, I, I feel like the late season um, scouting is more important. I feel like with these big fronts in the earlier season, you can be like, okay, front coming. I know this marsh pool has lots of food in it. There'll be ducks there, you know. And late season, it's not so much that way, especially if you're field hunting, you've got a pattern in which we don't do a lot of doing. But um, I, I, I think that it can just be, and, and on top of that, how much more wary the birds are. But late season can certainly be fruitful and you can get a lot of birds, but it's tricky. It, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to get these late season birds. Yeah, and, I, and I'll kind of say on that same point, it is tricky, especially at the, the temperature level that we've been staying at. Um, where it's, you know, um, you know, 33, 34 in the day and 27 at night. And we kind of been in that zone. I feel like for two or three weeks now, um, where we've, we've been screwed over a couple of times by stuff freezing when we wouldn't expect it. Um, but yeah, it's like you said, it can be really tricky, but it can also be really great. So if you get it where it, it does freeze and stay there, then you know where the birds are going to be. Um, they're going to be right where you can get them. Um, and you can kind of, you know, cross out a lot of the other places. Really, I really look forward to freeze ups. Um, but then in the same, same vein, some of our favorite places to hunt freeze up <laughs> and, uh, you know, where we had the six man limit, hunt. if that thing stayed open all year, we'd have birds in it, you know, um, as they migrate all year long, but you know, obviously you're not going to have as good of migration. Uh, so you kind of have like the kind of give and take you get from the late season. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, which can be really tricky. Well, then you get a hard freeze and then you pattern them and it's, it, you know, if you know, everything's locked down hard, then you know where the open pools are going to be. But if it stays that way too long, then the birds learn where not to be at the same time. So yep. then you, I start hoping for a thaw um, and then you get the thaw and then that brings in um, oftentimes uh, a reverse migration will start which can be really good but it's just it can it's just very unpredictable yeah yeah and i'll say on that with uh the thawing and freezing man we've been we have the struggle with that this year because um like you said it's really great if that happens and then you want the dethaw to help but ours have been so close together freeze dethaw freeze dethaw that you can't you know it takes you a couple days to adjust with the patterning um, and scouting of the birds, and then by the time we're ready to go for them, for them it's warm again and dethawed, yeah. and now, and now you got to try to pattern them all over again. So that's been our struggle this year. Yeah, and and like you said, with those temperatures, ice is a weird, tricky thing, and it's not easy to predict when things are going to be frozen and when they're not. Because sometimes you're like, oh, it got down to 15 tonight, um, everything's going to be frozen, and you go out and it's like, no, 
they're hardly anything's frozen at all. And the next thing you'd be like, oh, you know, it's only going to slip down to 28 degrees. It's not going to freeze. And you go out and there's skim ice everywhere. I mean, it's really hard to predict. Yeah. Um, One thing I've noticed that, that uh, kind of affects it uh, more than I realize is wind. Wind, uh, you know, the strength mm-hmm. of your wind or direction of your wind. So um, one example of that is from early season or not early season, but earlier in the season, earlier in the season where we had um, one of the ponds we hunt and it was open on one side and it was the side that the wind could get to. Um, And I just assumed, you know, kind of learning the spot still that the next time it froze, it would keep that section open and the wind direction was different. And the other side of the pond was frozen um and so it kind of switched from what we expected with mm-hmm. it freezing where it would freeze on that pond by the wind direction yeah wind makes certainly makes a huge difference in whether things freeze or not for wind and vegetation as well if you get flooded vegetation that water will cling onto it and and freeze really quickly versus a hole that has no vegetation mm-hmm. in it um just it just sticks to it but i ice is a beautifully fun thing to be around and hunt around, but, and also a very, very frustrating, frustrating. And I, I like a little, like one of the last hunts of the year last year, I did not anticipate there being ice in this place. And I went down in there and I had brought in a rake um, for skim ice. I got down in there and immediately, as soon as I get there, I'm like, okay, this hunt's going to suck. You just know <laughs> it's like, it's skim ice. I'm not going to get it out way more ice than I thought. They're not going to be here today. And it's like, no, that's like the weather wasn't supposed to get like it got three degrees colder than predicted. Bam ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so annoying sometimes. But if yeah. you find that ice hole or, you know, I mean, especially if you can find birds that have been using an ice hole, then it's like, I know we have concealment on here, but there are sometimes late season that that mallards are way less wary. If you give them a couple days to be in an ice hole and they feel comfortable with it, when they cruise into that thing, they're not going to be really paying attention to what's going on. They're just confident. They're coming in, and man, those those hunts, those On hunts are a blast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those hunts are a blast. So let's kind of jump more specifically into the the topics here, and um, kind of one thing I got we're for a scouting and hunting category is um, one thing we have to be wary of in the late season is spots that are overhunted. Um, so when you're going to scout, you know try to think of places that maybe have been overlooked uh you know by hunters you know if you can find somewhere that's harder to get to or maybe that you haven't even been been to the year you through that year or you know someplace you haven't hunted a lot um you just try to go to the places that have been less hunted through the season and you'll have better luck and try to hit them on you know if you're talking about freezes and thaws try to hit them on those days so like i'm pretty sure um, all of the marshes around here are going to lock up Thursday night. So, you know, Friday and Saturday are going to be good days because these birds are going to be moving off the marshes, more to the reservoirs. So if you can hit them in the first couple days and, and our, and our philosophy with breaking and breaking ice holes, which we haven't done a ton of, but, um, have done a, a handful of times is that right when a marsh freezes, you don't want to bust a hole, but if you can catch it, um, right when you anticipate a thaw, like the birds are out looking, <clears throat> hmm. it's a good time to bust open an ice hole. It's like a south wind day, the second or third warm day, south wind day, you think things are going to be opening up, go pop a hole open then um, yeah. is, a, is a better time for it. 
Yeah. Yeah, the freezing and thawing. Yeah, we've kind of been over that. So I don't know if I have too much to add to that. Um, another thing, I guess when we're talking about that with the freezing and thawing is also another thing to look for is flowing water. Um, when we get these late season cold pushes, if you can get on the rivers, the rivers are obviously great. Last thing to freeze up. Um, even okay. better than that, for me at least, um, and easier to hunt is if you can get on a small creek that flows off of a river, very shallow, fast moving water, those spots can be money um, because they'll freeze up uh, at kind of the same rate as a big river. You know, the big river will have ice on the edges, but that fast, fast flowing water on a small creek is so fun to hunt. Um, you know, you obviously still have to have the birds there, but if you can find a spot like that with a fast flowing creek late season, um, you know, that flowing water is just going to be where the birds want to be. Um, and yeah. it's just, that's, that's my favorite way to hunt late season. <laughs> be- beaver dams. You find, you find a little body of water that have been, um, dammed up by beavers. They, they will typically have a little flowing water in those, and those will stay open much longer than other things as well. Um, yeah. So th- those are really good to look for any little trickle of water. Um, will typically stay open it won't always hold ducks i know there's been a time i remember particularly where i knew there was this little trickle of water in fact twice i remember i've killed myself for for no nothing to attempt doing this but one place has a little little trickle of water below a beaver dam and i knew there'd be open water and i trudged clear back in there on this snow day and yep there was the open water but there was no ducks (laughs) on it (laughs) and there was another day where i know there's this ripple if you if you get a creek that has a ripple on it um, when there's no ice and you know, that spot's probably going to stay open yeah, um, much, much longer. And so I know of this ripple in this one area and I know there's got to be good hunting on it. It's just like three fourths of a mile walk back to even scout it. Mm-hmm. So I, I went in and scouted it one day, I actually ended up getting lost on the way, coming back, coming out. And again, there was no ducks on it, but those are the, those are the types. Sometimes you have to put in the legwork because you know, those those little ripples or those little you know beaver dam um, trickles of water can be really productive. Yeah, especially when you're getting down to like the zero temperature, everything mm-hmm. is frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's the stuff because even the rivers on the edges, and they're not going to be able to get to anything. Uh, but if you have those rip, those riffles, um, then they they stay open. You know, even up to the edges a lot of the time. Yeah. I will say there are, there have been a few times I've seen every single piece of water in the state um, freeze up the rivers, the reservoirs. Now there'll still be holes that they keep open, but um, so we can lose everything. And man, mm. it's bleak. It's bleak when that happens. I'll tell you, <laughs> but it, it can happen. Uh, you got another one you want to jump to? Um, let's see. We're on that same topic, right? Um, yeah. We were talking spinners versus no spinners. And a lot of people believe late season you put the spinners away. I I don't I don't I don't subscribe to that. But a lot of people swear by swear by that. Hmm. You put yours away, don't you? Um, I have, yeah, I've put them put them away. I think it's just kind of goes down to um, if you get past the point where you're just on the cold freeze, you already know where the ducks want to be. Um, you don't necessarily have to pull their attention uh, if you're on the X. 
it's just I, I feel like it's less important, especially for mallards. I mean, you do yeah. have to have some kind of motion, you know, whether it's a jerk rig or something like that. But uh, if you can get to the spot they want to be now, if you're still trafficking them, or if you're not necessarily sure, like if you're going to be, you know, 40 yards off or 100 yards off where the mallards want to be or the ducks want to be, then yeah, I, I guess I'd I wouldn't be opposed to keeping the spinner and putting it out if we need it. But I've actually yeah. been burned by that here recently where we uh, had the spinner, didn't put it out, and uh, <laughs> had some ducks work us. They were, weren't working. We put the spinner out, and uh, they started working. So, <laughs> Yeah. I can tell you if we have had multiple examples of that same thing where we're not using a spinner, and we put it out, and, and or we're not using a spinner. They're not doing what we want them to do. We put out a spinner, and bam, they, they're doing what we want us to do. I have had zero experiences where we're using a spinner, it's not working. We pull the spinner and it starts working. I've had zero of those. And we've tried. I mean, we can we still try to pull the spinner, even though at this point, maybe one time I kind of remember thinking, okay, maybe that worked pulling the spinner. That was like one out of 25 times. And we still continue <laughs> to try to pull the spinner. It just never is effective. It never it never yields positive results. Where the opposite, even in late season, I can think of an example right now. Um a hunt that I've got on video where we weren't using the spinner, put it out, bam, um, automatically made a difference. So mm. I'm certainly not a proponent of not using spinners, but enough people say that, that I, I don't know. I, I can't say that I, I believe that, that what they're saying is true. I know a lot of people believe that to be true. Yeah. I, I guess for me, the jury's still out. Um, but I, you know, I do regard what you say pretty highly, so um, I can't really go against it per se because I just have too small of a sample size for myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I just talked to my developer last week, and one of the next things we're going to add to the freelance hunt stats site is a motion decoy section. So you can click <coughs> the categories are going to be like spinner, jerk rig, um, I can't think how it's going to be broken down, I, but anyway, <clears throat> so within the next couple of years, I'll be able to do like, um, temperature ranges plus motion. I'm assuming that late season is colder temperatures and we will, we will have some actual data and I cannot wait for that when I, when I'm proven correct that <laughs> we will have some actual data about spinners <laughs> versus jerk rigs. Um, <laughs> And those kinds of things. But, but to this point, though, even even when I get like, you know, I, I've, I've told people before, I've got 2,000 hunts, 2,000 pieces of data here that tell me X. And those those people say, well, you know, yeah, but uh, from my experience tells me, you know, <laughs> they don't care. People, Some people just that it's like data doesn't matter to them. Their perceive their perceptions, their preconceived notions are going to be what they believe no matter how much empirical data you put in front of their face, which is annoying to me. It's annoying. <laughs> yeah, I can see that because sitting in a blind, sitting in a blind and saying that those ducks just flared off that spinner. You don't know that you don't know. That's what they flared off of. That's your <laughs> assumption. You're assuming that you have no, I mean, they came in and they flared. It could have been your face. You could have been rubbernecking, could have been a glean off your gun. It could have been, who knows? It could have been all sorts of things, but just because in your experience you you have predetermined that's the reason with no real reason to determine that, 
then therefore that's what you're going to believe your whole life. It's annoying. That's annoying. <laughs> if I can put together five to 10,000 hunts that tell you that motion does or doesn't have an effect and you don't believe it, then you're not the same kind of thinker I am. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm smarter than you. I'm saying there's emotional thinkers and there's logical thinkers. And if, you know, five, 10,000 hunts of data can't persuade you to believe differently then you're an emotional thinker and you might as well just start wearing panties. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have left that last one out. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not even going to jump into that one. <laughs> At some point the data has to persuade you. At some point it has to. From your yeah. handful of hmm those ducks didn't come in must have been the spinner. 10,000 hunts will tell me different. I don't care my perception, you know. At some point you have to say, "Oh, you know, a hundred thousand hunts says X Y. I must be wrong, but it's not going to happen. There'll still be guys out there that won't believe it. Mm. Yeah, so. for sure. And that's annoying that. to me. It's annoying to me. <laughs> I can I can tell you're a little worked up. <laughs> well, I'm a very very literal thinker. You're getting and, uh, and, you're getting kind of motion and emotional about emotional thinkers. <laughs> yeah, very true. But I'm doing it in a in a logic logic based way. Okay. No, I'm just so like, it, yeah. I, I, it's like, I, I love my mother with all my heart, but my dad has to constantly remind me. It's like when, when she, when she speaks and retells something, it's out of an emotional lens. So the specific words don't actually, actually have to match. You have to like, it's like, what is the emotion of the sentence? Not as what the literal words of the sentence. Whereas, whereas me, it's like, if I tell you something, I, in my mind, I'm like making sure every single word literally matches the 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 meaning of it, you know. So mm -hmm. it's like it's it's difficult sometimes for for literal based thinkers and emotional based thinkers to like communicate because you know I'm getting way off topic. But <laughs> it, right. it holds true. It holds true in waterfowling too, because mm -hmm. and you can tell based on people's opinions whether they're more an emotional based thinker. Um, or a literal base thinker, I think. And the spinner's top of the list of that. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, water water swatting. <laughs> yes, yeah, water swatting. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right, um, let's move on. <laughs> okay. I told you I was. I told you there might be some rants tonight if yeah. we get on the wrong thing. Yeah. I've, well, there's some rants every night. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, so, kind of to finish up this topic um, from the hunting and scouting portion, I would say, lastly, um, you know, look for migrators and look for flyways that you know they use, whether it's different roosts they like and different, you know parts of the river, you know, in spots in between that, you can always find the migrators searching out for new places or returning to places from prior years. Um, and migrators can give you a, a great push of birds and, uh, you know, give you a six man limit or something like that. So, yeah. And you talk about flyaways. That's an interesting point. I was, I've got a book, a duck hunting book from like the fifties. <clears throat> I didn't finish reading the whole thing, but it was really interesting. This guy was just going through his whole hunting life and, and he said something that I, I kind of uh, thought, but he, he the way he articulated is like in his experience that ducks, when they come off reservoirs or or um, roosts, they fly in highways and mm -hmm. but not just one necessary highway. So he said, you know, you'll have like highway a going this one direction 
And then you may be two miles over to the west. There's another highway of, of flight highway going out to fields in another direction. But in between those two, you may not see a single duck. So if you're out looking in fields and, and looking in the air for birds in the wrong spot, you might have, they might be all over the place. You just may not see them because they're on these high on these on these highways or these these flyways. So that that's a really good point about finding those. If you find a section where you see kind of birds going the same way, it's yeah. definitely a good indicator if they're. And going I think they're they're much more apparent when you have big migration pushes of birds. Um, and maybe in his day too, it was way more apparent, um, throughout the whole season, but in places where I see a lot of ducks and some of our more populated ducks, areas of ducks, I'll notice that where we have those specific highways and you can look up in the air and you'll see birds going both ways mm-hmm. in, in these straight lines. Yeah. Um, and you don't see that all season. I just see that kind of, it's so apparent when it's the time of day when they're flying, obviously, uh, first thing in the morning or mm-hmm. last light and first thing in the morning it's hard to see because it's so dark but I, you know i've seen it in the afternoon when you're getting birds going to these afternoon feeds in late season mm-hmm. um and then you can really kind of pick out those highways yeah it's a lot more true of late season mallards when you know they're feeding multiple times a day because it's so cold and you just sit there and you just see these lines these full flock after flock is just going the same same route same route yep. same route Cool. All right, let's jump over to concealment. And do you want to take the first one on there? Sure. Uh, late season, you're going to be more likely dealing with ducks that are very wary. Unless unless you're on the absolute X or on an ISOL, sometimes it can reverse and they can be less wary. But generally speaking, these birds are a lot smarter, a lot harder to bring all the way in than more of your early season birds. So you want to, the number one thing you want to make sure and work on is your concealment. Don't let your face show. Make sure you're completely concealed in every way that you can be. And that needs to be your number one concern with these late season mallards is is your hide and your concealment. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. Um, And kind of one thing you, you, uh, you put in here as well that I hadn't thought about is your smaller groups. Smaller groups are going to be easier to hide. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's not something I def- necessarily have taken in consideration consideration for late season. Um, but, yeah, I can see how that holds true. Just having warier birds, harder to decoy, harder to get close, and some of that can be mitigated by having, um, you know, smaller groups. Yeah, four or five guys are really hard to hide. Two guys is very easy to hide. One guy is unbelievably easy to hide. And a lot of that depends on how many trees you have too, because my, my experience is that you just get a couple trees over your head and mallards are a million times easier to decoy than on a prairie marsh where there's no trees at all. I mean, it's, it's one thing about those prairie marshes I love, but oh man, it is so hard to get hidden on these big ducks. You just have to have everything perfect concealment. But we get around my part of the state where there's a few trees and literally sometimes we just like all those good hunts we went on last year, just sitting under a tree, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you don't have to, you don't have to conceal that much. Um, so a lot of it depends on that as well. But like Aiden and I are going to hunt. Um, we got the spot picked out Saturday and it's open lake, not that great of concealment. 
And it's like, man, I, I don't, I don't want any more than two guys in there. Me and Aiden, I don't want any more than just a, maybe three in layout boats, but it's just going to be a hard place to conceal. If you try to, if you try to get four guys in a place like that, you're going to be shooting them at 40 yards best. Makes a big difference. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah. And I guess along with that, you said layout if possible. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so have you uh, ever tried an A-frame in late season? <laughs> no, but I hope to. Because <laughs> I I just got my hands on the HDR A-frame. Haven't even put it together yet. So never, ever hunted in an A-frame. Um, I'm, I'm less and less skeptical of them because of just the videos that I've seen. Um, at first I'm like, they're boxy. They're going to scare birds, but it, it, from what I'm seeing, man, they work like a charm. So yeah. hopefully we will get to find out one of our uh, sponsors this year and, um, no secret. I do some work with them as well, mm-hmm. but, um, <laughs> I can tell you firsthand that I love hunting out of a frames and I always try to convince everybody I'm hunting with that we should hunt out of the a frame because it's just my favorite way to hunt. Honestly, <laughs> you know, that spot we're going to this weekend. Cause you mean, you can sink them in water too. How how what's the deepest you would put an A frame in? Um, I mean, you got to be able to sit down. I think this so is going to be thigh deep. I think thigh deep. Uh-huh. That is pushing it. I would say. Okay. I, I don't know if you can push back further towards the bank or if there's a uh, a more shallow spot. I mean, I would no, say if you're, I would go knee high. Um, yeah. you know, you get so a little bar stool and you can yeah. sit right at the top of the water. Yeah. Then that's money. Um, but you know, if you can get in cattails, and mm. or you know, sit and you know, shinned knee deep, then you're, I think you're money on the water's edge. Yeah. This area I'll probably do because we've just we just had all this rain and this lake has come up a foot. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm assuming water dip that might only be knee deep, but we'll probably take the layout boats out there. This is a little patch of willow trees that are away from the bank, so they're not even. You're kind of just out in the middle of the lake. Um, but I'm probably just gauge the, the depth of the water this weekend. We've only hunted the spot a couple times. And then if it's like, you know, shin deep or something, maybe the next time in, take that a frame. might be worth a shot. Yeah. So I guess, uh, for concealment, that pretty much covers it. I, obviously, um, anytime you're talking about concealment, when you're brushing and you think you're done, just make sure you brush it as much as possible. I mean, a lot of times, <coughs> We're just sitting around for the last 20, 30 minutes anyway. Um, take, you know, 15 more of that and keep brushing and get your, yeah. your A-frame. I mean, just, or whatever, your layout boat, whatever, you know, you want to just disappear, uh, especially with these wary birds. Yeah, and I would say have a, a outfit of white on hand. Put one together off-season or whatever, because if it snows, um, throw on the white. Um, it makes a huge difference, especially if you're laying out on ice or whatever. If you're in brown and everything else is white, it doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work. So yeah. if, if you have a white that you can wear, do it, which I finally have a full white. I've got more white now than <laughs> I've ever had. I'm pumped. I do not have. Pumped. I barely have any. <laughs> I found a really sweet snowsuit at, well, it's like a pullover. It's, it's thin at the Army Surplus here in town. It's like parka pants. So, and then I've got my FDH um, head jack. I've got one of those as well. So I'm set, man. I'm set. There you go. I just need one for my layout blind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, HDR has a camo, snow camo pattern. 
do they yep <laughs> and what That's, like for for uh, for what for all of their stuff uh well, I guess in theory, yeah, all of their stuff, but it's just coming out. So, um, but it, it can be on any of it, any of the stuff they make. Man, I'll tell you what I need. I need um, one for my for my layout blind. Mm-hmm. Um, I need a snow pullover for that. That's the main thing I need. So with the, with the A frames, um, if they have snow for that, you'd have to buy it in snow. They you can't get it like interchangeable color variations can you well you mean you just would have to buy like the cloth you wouldn't have to buy another whole frame yeah do they sell just the cloth so you can switch them out um yeah really mm-hmm. that would be great to have if i was going to get a second cloth for the a-frame it would be snow yeah that'd be for great sure season. for sure because i wonder if you could even set those up on the ice and i bet you could Bet you could, yeah, it'd be worth a shot. Because <laughs> be awesome. I know I can, I can tell you when we tried to use brown layout um, layouts on the ice, we struggled. And my buddy Charlie brought out one with all white on it, and I mean, it just disappeared. It was a pretty big layout. Uh, I, mm. I bet you if it was all white, yeah, I bet that. I, I bet it would work. I bet it would work. Yeah, it would. That's that's something to try this year, maybe. Um, do you, what do they so do they actively sell just the materials right now um they do but not i, sh, I probably maybe I, I jumped the gun on the snow it's not actually up on the website yet so yeah. oh, come on. i'm just one what's the price range I'm, I'm more curious what the price range is of just the extra um i'd have to look that up for you okay well, I'm, I'm excited about that yeah because trying trying an a-frame on the ice man that would be cool that would be that'd be a really cool video to see. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we're gonna get any ice hole hunts this year because we've had so much rain that the that the river's up so high. It's gonna have to come down like four feet, and all the reservoirs are way high. I don't think there's gonna be any river hunts this year at all because of the water levels. Unfortunately, mm. bummed about well, that. Yeah. Uh, so sticking on the weight, the wow, the the l- late season weather patterns. I think we just. Uh, did we jump to that? Well, we haven't talked about that yet. Okay, let's jump to that now. So, kind of talking about snow and ice. Um, what What is your favorite weather late season to hunt? Hmm. Is it like snowy days or? I do love when it's snowing, but I just have not hunted those hardly mm-hmm. at all. Um, you know, I love the days when the marshes thaw and the birds are coming back in though. I love mm-hmm. those. And then I love a solid freeze where you're in like a nice, but the lakes are open. Yep. I'd say those, those two, um, it's those in between that just make things so hard. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think both one of the, the coolest days to hunt is snow, like days where it snowed in the night, maybe it's still snowing while you're hunting. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a, a day like that last year. It was actually Christmas morning um and we just got like a fresh four or five inches of snow and it was still snowing kind of lightly and uh you know shot my limit of mallards and that that was it's just so much fun in those conditions yeah i I can barely remember days being out where it's actually snowing it just snows that it doesn't snow that much so to hit a day where it's actually snowing um is very is very rare the last one i remember because i missed hurricane bruce because i was sick but the last one i remember it was snowing and the winds were blowing 25, 30 miles an hour. And we checked the the big river and didn't find anything on there. And we found mallards going up into this little back Creek 
and man, they were just done. And, it was, and this creek has really high side bank walls, you know. Mm-hmm. And man, when they were coming in and just dropping like like a roller coaster, you know, just like down an elevator, and it was snowing. It was one of the coolest hunts ever. And when you can get those hunts like that where it's snowing and you're getting into them, man, that's a blast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, weather patterns to look out for late season snow, snow can affect feeds. Um, you know, if they can't get through the snow to the corn, you can actually have them fly out of there. Um, but also, you know, you're going to have less birds in the field. So hunt your water sources. Um, also obviously as it goes in any time of the year, um, cold fronts, um, and we get super cold fronts with storm fronts, snow, snow fronts. And it seems like those right as those hit or right before those hits is a great time to also look up your feeds because the birds know that they're not going to have that opportunity again. Um, so those are great to hit up as well. And I would say just watch the weather channel daily because it, it can change daily. And so like right now, I bet you I check the weather five times a day, like the 10 day. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at winds. What's the wind direction? Like I'm, I'm already closely into looking at when you're coming up now already. We're like, what's the winds going to be? What, what are the temperatures going to be? What is that going to do to the ice conditions? And really think about it. You don't want to mm-hmm. be just jumping out and be like, oh, you know, the weather's been variable. Let's just go try this without really spending time. I spend so much time thinking about this time of season, what, what the ice is going to do what it's not going to do like last weekend I couldn't go out. Aiden went out and he made a, made a really bad mistake because um, it, it was a, like the second day of a warm up, and you're going to get some thaws and he just didn't put enough thought into it and went out to a big lake and just got skunked. Hmm. Um, so, so where you're going to go based on what the weather's doing. Um, yeah. well, I would watch it closely. Yep. Um, and then I guess the last thing I'd say about late season weather is if it gets real cold, a lot of times um, birds will, late, will wait later to fly in the day. Um, post you're just straight up in the morning, um, you'll get days where they can wait uh, to even just come out at all. They'll just stay on the roost, um, especially on those bluebird sunny days. Uh, they'll sit there and soak up some of the sun, won't want to fly until the warmer part of the day. And I think that geese are a lot more into sitting like that than than the mallards are i know that they'll do it some too but the geese especially man they'll they'll like just sit sit yep. mm-hmm. and then lastly uh not to overlook it safety um when it gets late like this we do have to worry about um you know especially keeping dry or uh you know frostbite hypothermia all those kind of things so one thing I'd say for sure uh, is, especially if you're going on your your own, which I do that from time to time, even in late season, even in super cold conditions, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you let somebody know um, if you're going by yourself, even if you're not, you know, let somebody know where your group's going uh, mm-hmm. just in case something happens. They know where they can uh, send help. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the the fact is, I don't know how, how often it happens in Indiana, but every couple of years, duck hunters die in this state. They just yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's typically the big lake reservoirs, but not always. And it, it's 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 no joke. I mean, you know, that big high profile country singer died in Oklahoma what, last year. Um, him mm-hmm. and a buddy. Yeah, uh, it just it happens. So so and letting someone know where you are and 
I always try to give like an emergency time. Like if you don't hear from me by X amount of time, that's when you need to start worrying. Mm -hmm. You know? And then once you give those times, you better live by them. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's important. And the next thing I would say is go with a buddy if you can, you know, maybe avoid those solo hunts unless you know for sure it's not going to be anything that could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. Just, I, I would always say, uh, go with a buddy if you can, you know, ask them if they yeah. can't, you know, I, I'd still probably go by myself. Maybe that's bad advice, but, um, just, I wouldn't go on anything crazy, you know? Um, yeah. It's kind of like you say later on, uh, you've, you put in this category is know your limits. So if you're going by yourself, mm -hmm. you got to know your limits. Um, and a duck isn't worth dying for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, knowing your limits is, is really setting the rules. It's setting the rules, knowing your limits and set your rules. Um, so I will hunt by myself in this kind of weather, but there's certain types of hunts that I will not go on in this kind of weather. I remember I was by myself. Um, scouting the the Kansas River one time, and I found a bunch of birds on an ice hole, but they were kind of out in the middle of the river. And I knew I I had this section of the river. I knew the depth of, and I had been in there, warm weather, cold weather. I knew the depth of, but when you put a layer of ice on everything and then snow on top of it, and you start walking on it, it is scary to me. It's scary. Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you know there's running water underneath and i know that day man i wanted to get out to those birds and i kept trying to justify it in my mind and i'm by myself i'm like no uh, -uh i just can't i just can't try to get out to that ice hole by myself that's my limit i and i had turned around and walked away um, which is hard to do especially you know you're in your early 20s those are your early 20s it's even harder to do because you feel like you're invincible which you're not um but no, set your rules near. Well, we also have rules around wind temperature for getting on the reservoirs with our boat. Mm. Um, and my dad, my mind varies a little bit. He wants to set it at about 22 miles an hour. And I set it at about 30. Um, but if it's, you know, if it's 10 degrees and the wind's blowing 30 to 35, we're not putting the 18 foot boat on the reservoir. We're just not, um, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. So you have, you have to, set your rules ahead of time as to what you will and won't do. Don't try to set them that day. Cause if you, I mean, if you're all excited and you see all these birds, it's really hard to make good decisions. Um, yeah. So, so pre think what your rules in the cold are going to be and then live by them. And next one I would say is uh, stay, stay dry and dress warm. Um, you know, I have one, one hunt in particular I can think of. And, and, you know, if you get wet, you know, don't be afraid to call it off. Uh, me and one of my buddies, we went out on the big river and we set up for a hunt and I had a hole in my waders partway through the hunt. And we're talking, or it might've been actually there the whole time, but uh, we're talking like zero degrees, um, mm -hmm. you know, negative wind chills. And we're out on the big river and we're hunting and my waders are leaking and I'm just like, oh, I can tough it out. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I did, I toughed it out um, the whole hunt. Um, and it got to, you know, a certain point where I just couldn't feel my feet anymore. And so <laughs> by that point it stops hurting, uh, which isn't a good thing. Um, you think maybe that's a good thing, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> and then we get to the end of that and we can't get the boat started. And like, I'm at, 
at this point I'm already at my like end of my limit. Like I can't take anymore. And you know, I've tried to tough it out to this point. And now we're having trouble getting the boat started. I can't feel my hands. Uh, I can't feel my feet. And finally, we, you know, after try, after try, I'm like, I'm, I literally was like, I'm going to die here. <laughs> this is, this yeah, is it. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and like you, you start getting the kind of thoughts in your mind where like, oh, I could just lay down, take a nap. It'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't do it. <laughs> and so we get the, we finally get the boat started and then, you know, we're flying up the river to get back to the boat launch and I'm just like freezing and shivering the whole way. Um, and we get in the car and I get my wet clothes off and I'm just sitting there and I'm like rocking, rocking in pain as uh, I dethaw and it hurts so bad <laughs> just to th- dethaw yeah. um, <laughs> my feet. And I don't know, there's probably some medical terms and people that know what is happening at that point, but it was like my blood started flowing again and it was, I could feel that and it hurt. <laughs> so oh, don't, man. don't get to that point, you know, dress warm, stay, stay dry. And if you do get wet, don't be afraid to be the guy that says, guys, I have to go. Like, I can't because mm. when it gets that cold, I mean, you you can talk about having some damage. And I would say bring fire. Always have fire starter with you. I remember we didn't used to um, make fires when we we're out hunting and have fire starter with me. And the reason that I started doing so is corn and my dad and I were hunting at this power plant lake that always stays open and never freezes. And, but it was like, it was like just over zero degrees and we boated clear in there. We're on this point and fumbles is out, goof around the decoys falls over. Oh Mm. crap. There there goes our hunt. Right. Well, corn whips out this fire starter and or lighter. I don't know if he had actually had fire, but he had a lighter and started up a fire, saved the whole day him being able to get, get dry. So we, I always carry a lighter and some, a little bit of fire starter with me, but especially on those cold days that can save a hunt. If you bring an extra set of clothes, especially a pair of socks, it's pair of pants. Um, like, like we go on our boat and it's really cold. We have a bag in the live well that just has a complete change of clothes in it. In fact, one of the videos from the first season where Dan fell in, where it was really cold, um, that saved us on that one. Cause he went back to the boat and was able to completely, change but having those fire starting tools and an extra set of clothes can can not only save a life but it can also just save your hunt Mm -hmm. definitely agree on that actually don't take a a pair of clothes now but um, maybe it's worth getting a dry bag and doing that and throwing the fire starter in there as well (laughs) yeah especially if you have a boat it's easy because, you know, then you just throw it in. In fact, I need to check our, I don't know if it's even still in the boat or not. I need to check that before this weekend. Yep. Um, and I think the last thing that I would say on this <laughs> is uh, late season, you know, one thing that I would say is make sure you find a really good pair of gloves, especially if you have the canoe or you're kayaking, um, waterproof, good gloves because your hands are going to get wet. Um and it's just a good pair of gloves, man. Um, is worth every penny you have to spend on them. Um, mm-hmm. And along the same the, the same vein, which I'm still on the search for, is my biggest struggle in late season is keeping warm feet. Uh, and mm-hmm. I've tried I don't even know how many different brands of socks. Um, and the best one I found so far, I would say, is Sims waiting waiting socks, and they're just super thick, super big, um, and a high percentage of merino wool. But I'm still in the search for the best socks I can possibly find, trying different brands all the time. (laughs) 
I don't have very good circulation in my feet. And normally that's about the only thing that gets cold on me is my feet. And what I found is just like a hand warmer, just shake it and just throw it down, down your leg. If if your foot gets numb and you don't, it doesn't feel warm, but it just stops hurting. Yeah. Um, that, mm-hmm. That's the best solution that I've, I've done that as well. They do have that's like electric soles and that kind of yeah. stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> they only last for like 45 minutes, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, I think good socks. I think there's got to be some good socks out there. They can. I've gotten too. a couple from Hunter's Hall called Farm to. Oh, what are they called? Ah, dang it! Something to farm, farm to something. I can't yeah. remember. I'm trying to hype it, but they're they're really good socks. I've gotten two pair from Hunter's Hall, um, two years in a row, and those have been what I'm what been wearing. And the, those are really nice socks. Nice. So like yeah, forty dollars socks. Yeah, that's how the Sims wager socks are as well, but. Yeah. Um, if you guys know good socks, like I know, I almost say this never about anything, but send me a message because I I love trying different socks. It's kind of a weird thing, but <laughs> I just want to yeah. get the best socks I possibly can for waiting uh, late season socks. I, I love hunting socks. Oh my gosh, I, I nothing <laughs> excites me more. Even like if I'm just sitting on the couch, like, oh my hunting socks, I'm gonna put them on. I don't know what it is, man. It's is like, it like that know. that big Browning logo or something. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you know the the other thing though is just your equipment, your equipment in general. When it's going to be really, really cold, you need to make sure that you're keeping good care of your equipment and your flashlights. Make sure the batteries are changed. Make sure everything. Make sure your gun is clean. Just make sure that your equipment is in the best shape possible, um, maintenance wise, because the cold makes everything. Nothing works as well Mm -hmm. in the cold. And so, and, and with the flashlights, um, we've been wearing the light saw headlamps, which I need to change the batteries out. And I need, I need to actually get some lithium uh, recharging batteries with those, but making sure that you have a headlamp that's not going to go out when you're out there is even more important in the dark than it is, um, during the light. And this, the lights all head flashlight, since I've been using that. It is, and I've, I've said it before, I'll, uh, anyone who asks, I, uh, I will tell, that headlamp from Lightsall, um, which is Lightsall, L-I-T-E-Z-A-L-L, is the best head flashlight that I've ever had and ever used. And it's got a, like a narrowing beam, it's got a big retractable beam, um, it's got a bright, it's got a dimmer, and it's an insanely, insanely powerful tool i'm in i'm in love with that thing i'm in love with flashlights in general i think yeah yeah so a uh, big thanks to them for sure make sure if you guys check out their stuff use uh promo code duck hunt 10 um at checkout yeah because they've, they've got that headlamp they've got a is it 2000 or 3000 lumens torch Mm-hmm. A very bright light we'll just put it at it's that. crazy <laughs> bright it's crazy. the thing i love the best about that light is well two things number one is is letting people that are too close to me know where i'm at and number two is being able to see your decoys to see how they're placed out when you put it on the big radius beam because it's one thing i hate it's like i'm putting out decoys and and i can't quite tell how it looks but with that huge radius beam from that lights all man you can just see everything it's crazy mm-hmm. have you ever done that with those uh i have not but I, yeah I, I can definitely see how that would work um for me i I actually just take the headlamp um, 
I think you've said it before. It's just with the, the direct beam on that. You can yeah. see a good distance when you narrow it down and check out your stuff that way. Or when you have the head beam, you don't feel like you need a secondary flashlight, do you? Yep, I'd agree because it's so strong. I was I had that um, the the torch of theirs before I had the head flashlight, so I always carried that one with me. And that's one thing I said a couple weeks ago. It's like I always had my head flashlight, and then I had my handheld, which was bigger and stronger. And since I've been using that headlight from lights all i don't i still bring the other one just because i don't like the thought of of one not working or whatever but i don't i don't reach for it anymore i used to have headlight on when, I, when i'm walking around decos i'd have headlight on and then stronger flashlight in my waiter pouch and now i don't it the headlight's so strong i don't even feel the need to do that mm -hmm. so while we're on the the subject of uh gear I'll, I'll add one thing to that before we wrap this one up but um, it's like you said, with your gun, keeping that clean, also keeping it dry. Uh, I've had experiences where, um, you know, chief, <laughs> we're, we're hunting in a blind and he jumped up on the bench and, uh, knocked my gun into the water and I grabbed it right by the barrel and it went like halfway under the water. And I knew right then, you know, we're hunting like in the teens that I was going to have issues because it was, it was wet, you know, you can drain it out, but you're still going to have water residue in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and sure enough, it was locking up all morning. So keep your gun dry, keep everything dry. Yeah. Obviously keep your gun dry, keep it, uh, um, you know, keep it well cleaned and, uh, kind of do this all season long, but keep your oil with you. Cause, you know, that can save your butt on that as well. Yeah, that's something I've started doing this year is keeping a little oil with me because that Beretta does stick a little, especially when it's cold. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I think that kind of closes up for us. You got anything you want to add, Elliot? I don't think so. I'm excited about this late season. That's really, I feel like late season is essentially starting since uh, Winter Storm Bruce. So we're definitely in a pattern. We've got a little snow on the ground temperatures or marshes are starting to freeze we have not had a hard freeze lockdown yet that's the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to get a huge front hopefully it won't be such a big front that it'll lock everything but that's the next thing um for us but i feel like late season kind of has started as of december 1st for us that's how it feels awesome we're ready to roll ready to roll as well all right fellas Thanks again for joining us on another podcast. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure to check us out on the Fellowship of the Duck Gun. Let us know specifically if you like this format of podcast. We're thinking about adding some more of these in here or there where we just kind of go through, um, you know, giving you guys tips and tricks. Um, but don't worry, we'll still keep the guest as much as we can. Um, but that's all we got for this week. Make sure to leave us a five-star review over there on iTunes. Helps us out a ton. Um, but yeah, that's all we got. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and we'll see you guys next time.